0: morning, everyone. Excellent to see you all. Uh, we do have a uh, quarterly meeting after the, the church service today, so stick around for that after tea and coffee and uh, morning tea. Just so cool, like, like what Ian was saying, the Lord would choose us, that he delights to hear us sing to him and praise him. and uh, It's remarkable, like if you think about what would you like as an inheritance and God who has everything is like, I want those people. I want them as my inheritance. And I mean, he has the angels to sing his praise, but he delights to hear our voice. He delights to hear us draw near to him and to, he he rejoices in that, a voluntary, just offering of praise to him and how glorious it is that he loves us. What an awesome God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are Lord, over all things, that you are the creator, you are the sustainer of our souls, and you delight to hear us. You delight to hear us discuss the things of you. And as we open your word, Lord, we pray that you would speak, that you would minister your truth to our hearts and be glorified as we consider these things and lay it to heart. Lord, we want to heed your warnings, we want to walk in your ways, and we want to bring honor to your name. And it's by your grace you accomplish this. And so, Lord, we we look forward to all that you will say and this time of fellowship together in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be in Genesis chapter 19, if you'll turn there. This week I went to a new dentist. I hadn't been in quite a while and uh, I wasn't having pain or problems, but it was time for a clean and uh, a good exam and everything. And I'm really grateful for modern dentistry, let me just say. Um, During trips to Cambodia, we have gone on several mission trips and occasionally I was asked to hold the torch to look at people in remote villages that have never seen a toothbrush before. Had never cleaned their teeth once and they're 50. And so you'd see a lot of things that you you haven't seen before. And uh, many times their teeth had broken off and it was just a, a, a black spot where the roots had um, rotted away and And just because a tooth is broken and no longer hurts, it doesn't mean that it's healthy, that it it could be dangerous. And so that's, that's viewed as a medical emergency, a dental emergency if a tooth breaks off. And you can tolerate that, you can ignore it for years, but there comes a point when extraction is required, where that tooth, there's nothing to bond to anymore, it has to go. And it's not a pleasant sight, it's not a good subject. There's a lot of things we'd rather talk about than rotting teeth. Um, And today we come to a passage that illustrates really the progression of moral decay to a point where action was taken by God to judge cities. I I knew a man who had uh, diabetes and he had gangrenous toes that had to be removed and then his foot was removed and then to the knee. It's like when that that disease set in, it it needed to be dealt with for the good of the whole body and removal of the damaged tissue and bone was the only option. And we think about a rotten tooth or gangrenous foot and the things we can see that, but God looks at our hearts. He sees inside, he sees the sin that's there. And we would not we would rather not look, we would rather see a smiling, perfect, like really white teeth. We'd love to see athletes in the Paralympics or the Olympics you know, setting world records in their discipline because they're fit and healthy, not going into a ward where you see people that are suffering and struggling with gangrenous feet and, um, but God's gracious, he, he, he warns us of the dangers of sin. He shows us the end result that the, the wages of sin is death. So that we would turn and live, that he could lead us by the hand to forgiveness and salvation in him, because he intervenes to save, not to cause more pain, not to torment, but to deliver, to redeem, to free us. So Genesis 19, starting in verse one. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face to the ground. And he said... Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise, er, rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. So these two angels uh, who appeared to be men, they were ones who had came with the Lord to Sodom. Um... So Abraham, uh, they, they had met with Abraham, the Lord, and these two men, but they're really angels, and they go to Sodom. And Abraham, just a little background, when, he, when God said, I'm going to tell Abraham what I'm going to do, I'm going to make of him a great nation, I'm not going to hide what I'm going to do from him, uh, that I've come down to see firsthand the cry that's come up from Sodom. Uh, because the sin of that city is great. And Abraham intercedes on behalf of the people. And he says, for the sake of 50, would you destroy the whole city for the sake of 50? And he says, you know what? For the sake of 50, I will not destroy it. I will spare everyone for the sake of 50. And they, he whittles him down to 10. If there are 10 righteous, he will not destroy the city. He will spare the whole region. Now, as the angels come to the gate, they were met by Lot. That's Abraham's nephew. And that's the place of judgment and business and authority. That's where the elders would sit to make decisions on legal cases, or if there was a sale of property, that's where it would be done. Uh, So Lot rises to meet them. And we see that hospitality that we had seen in Abraham in Lot, where he, he greets them. He bows to the ground. He says, turn in with me, stay with me. And they politely decline. They go, no, we're fine. We're, We're fine to sleep in the open square, which was, It wasn't uncommon for travelers to rug up and to sleep uh, in the open square, but he insisted. As we see, Lot is not the most assertive man. He doesn't come across as assertive, but here he does. He he emphasizes their need. He urges them to dine and dwell with him, knowing well what would happen to them if they did not. Uh, God had heard cries of locals and visitors being mugged, raped, and murdered in the streets, and Lot had heard it too. We know of this because in 2 Peter 2, it says that Lot was a man of faith. That he was oppressed by the filthy conduct. And that word filthy conduct, it's sexual immorality of the wicked. His righteous soul was tormented night and day. It says by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And I looked up that word tormented or vexed. It's translated battered. It's like he was battered. He was beaten up. He was beaten down by just being exposed to this troubling environment. He was disturbed, he was tortured by the things he saw and heard. And he used his position in the gate to intercept people, to offer hospitality to them, to protect them so that they wouldn't face uh, the brutality in that place. They would be protected and provided for. So upon arriving at Lot's home, he made them a feast, he baked unleavened bread. And they ate. So unleavened bread is something you'd make on the spot. Didn't have time to let it rise. You'd make it to to provide. So verse four. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man lot and came near to break down the door. It's really a very deeply disturbing scene. They're heading off to bed before they go. It says, the men of the city, both old and young, all people from every quarter, they surround the house. There was not a safe place in Sodom. There's not like the good side of the tracks and the bad side of the tracks. It was all corrupt. And they united to gang rape the travelers that Lot took in for the night. Now, based upon his words before the law was given, Lot recognized homosexuality as sin, rape as a violent evil, and God would spell this out in Leviticus 18.22, where he says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination. And like the men who surrounded Lot's house, we see this verse in Leviticus, it's surrounded by prohibitions of things like adultery and incest, human sacrifice and bestiality. So like Romans 1, 26 and 28 says, they demonstrated uh, vile passions. They burned with lust. They had debased mind. Now, while all manner of sexual immorality is sin, know that the iniquity of Sodom went beyond that. This was just one aspect of what was going on there. Turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50, because God's speaking to his people and he's calling them out for their idolatry and how they really, they spiritually prostituted themselves to idols and sinned before God. Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50. So spiritually speaking, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they bore resemblance to the people of Sodom. They looked upon those people who received God's judgment with disgust and disdain, like, oh, those people. But God revealed to his people that their sin, they shared in Sodom's sins in a way that they wouldn't have thought. And so we need to think about that ourselves too. Ezekiel 16, 49. It says, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Pride, that was the root cause of the sins in Sodom. It was the sin that God saw in his people in Jerusalem. And so he said, look, this was their sin. You have no fear of God in your arrogance. They embraced gluttony and excess, This being idle, it wasn't just that they were lazy, it speaks of a conscience that was undisturbed by what God says is sinful. So there was no conviction, there was no repentance. And instead of helping the poor and needy, they preyed upon them. Instead of bringing in the traveler, they sought to oppress them. And it says they were haughty to do detestable things and so God took them away as he saw fit. And as creator and the judge of all the earth, as established last chapter, the judge of all the earth will do right. Lot, he's a righteous man, but living in Sodom and having that, I guess, life around him, it led him to compromise. And he called them in brethren, right? So first he's, he's like saying, I'm one of you, brethren. And then he offers his two virgin daughters for their sexual gratification, There's just no justification for that at all. I like what Matthew Henry said. He says, it is true of two evils. We must choose the less, but of two sins, we must choose neither, neither nor ever do evil. That good may come of it. So he offers his daughters and they go, no way. And you know what? We're tired of you. You came in here to live with us. And now you're telling us what to do. You're, you're standing as a judge. We're going to deal with you worse than how we're going to deal with them. Two extremes we have to avoid in this passage is we make sexual immorality the greatest sin or we downplay it as acceptable. Because this passage is exposing sin in like the most gangrenous form, just symptomatic of the pride and the arrogance before God without the fear of God at all. There's this unbridled lust. There's covetousness that we see on the surface. And know that what God calls an abomination in the Old Testament, like lying or pride, Well, in the Old and New Testaments, it's still abominable to this day. And Paul, he wrote plainly to the church that was marred by sin in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So before we start judging or condemning others for their sin, we need to remember us in the church, such were some of us. That is us. We are seeing ourselves there because of the pride that we know that we have inside, if we'll be honest. We cannot safely embrace sin for any reason. It's destructive. Our righteousness is not that we are sinless, that we're perfect now, but because we have been born again by grace through faith in Jesus. We've been set apart for God and we confess our sin and repent. We seek to do the things that please him. He's changed us. He's washed us. Jesus taught that we're to cut off from our lives. What causes us to sin and we should take his word to heart. He is the Lord. Verse 10, But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary, to, of weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So the men then, they show that they are not mere men. They pull Lot inside. The men who are trying to push their way through, they're struck with blindness. And notice it says, small and great. So it doesn't mean bigger and smaller. It means the most important people, the most famous and powerful of the region, and also the slaves, those who were uh, really not anyone of note. So it's like the governor and the slave, they're all like, they're looking for a fix. And eventually they got tired of looking for the door. And it's like as blind as they And unfeeling as they were towards God and their sin, their bodies were affected in like manner. So they weren't able to see. They're shrouded in darkness. And the angels asked Lot, hey, do you have family? You have anyone here? Make sure you talk to them. Get them out of this place because it is going to be destroyed. The moral decay is complete. It is time for judgment. Urgent reckoning before God is required. And this shows that angels are not all-knowing. They ask because they don't know. If he had exactly who is in his family and they say, you know, do you have anybody, please let them know what's going to happen. And I really, I, as I read and just prayed through and meditated on the passage, I'm like, I cannot imagine a city where there's only one person in the whole city that is not given over to sin. There's no place for help. There's no place for who, who will take your side. It is a really horrible feeling. Like we feel bad if, if it's exposed that there's a crooked cop or a crooked politician that rocks us or a crooked pastor. But if everybody is crooked, save one, I, I can't really imagine how awful that was. The corruption that they all agreed to take advantage of anyone who entered that city. Verse 14, so Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law's who had married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. Lot did as he was told. He went to his sons-in-law and he warned them. He said, hey, the Lord's going to destroy the city. We've got to go. Now there's a couple of interpretations here. Either that Lot had other daughters that are not mentioned anywhere else in scripture, or these were sons-in-laws who were betrothed to his daughters, which you would have a betrothal where you were legally married, but you didn't cohabitate until the actual wedding. And that would be about a year's time or so. So perhaps that was the situation. Hence, they were virgins. They were married, but they weren't yet cohabitating. So regardless, Lot's son-in-laws did not believe him. They thought he was joking. I doubt Lot or his family slept very much that night, if at all. But Lot was not ready to leave at dawn. Maybe he was waiting around, hoping his son-in-laws would come, or, but they didn't. And it says the angels said to quickly leave lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And it occurred to me, we live in a day where punishment is seen by many as unjust in itself to punish someone. Since pain and suffering are viewed as evils, any contribution to this is also viewed as evil. The word punish, it doesn't have that corrective sense like discipline even though it has its purpose. Uh, And I think when we say punish, it can be colored by our own sinful tendency to be bitter, to hold grudges, to take vengeance, to go beyond what's required out of anger. Now, the 1828 Webster's definition of punishment, it makes a really good distinction. It says... Any pain or suffering inflicted on a person for a crime or offense by the authority to which the offender is subject, either by the constitutions of God or civil society, pain, loss, or evil willfully inflicted on another for his crimes by a private unauthorized person is revenge rather than punishment. So punishment is a specific thing. It is, has everything to do with God given authority exercised rightly. It has everything to do with being in the position to punish rather than taking vengeance. Because God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. God will take vengeance in time. Now, when you talk about authority, that's another thing that we can take issue with. Uh, Any authority besides ourselves, right? I think that's in an independent, secular society. That is the view. Like, I get to decide what's right. Um... And it follows that any punishment, even from authority, could be rejected. Now, while people do not always punish or discipline with godly intent or restraint, know that God always does because the God of the earth will do right. Punishment in Sodom's case, it was retributive justice. The wages of sin is death. God would see that paid in full. Now, I've known people or situations where... um, people were not paid their wages. They weren't getting their full super, but God's not going to withhold that. He will give the reward of righteousness and he will also give punishment and he will discipline his children and he will also punish at times because he has authority to do so. Now notice Lot. He's had some angelic visitors. He's had that whole incident, very troubling, and now he lingers in the place that would end up destroying him right? If he stayed, he would be destroyed, but he lingered. He's still kind of putzing around and I don't know what he's doing. He hadn't packed his bags. He's not waiting at the door like, okay, I'm ready to go. He's lingering. And so they're saying, hey, come on, urgency, let's go. If it was up to Lot alone, he would have perished in that place. He would have just stayed there until judgment came. God was gracious to Lot. And it points that out. It says, the Lord being merciful to him, he took him by the hand. That word merciful, it means to show compassion, forgiveness, to spare and to save. God was under no obligation to save Lot or his household. Absolutely none. Had they sinned? Certainly they had. But his inclination, his desire is to save people, to deliver people, to help people come to life. And those angels, they reached out to take the hands of Lot, the hands of his wife and his daughters. They reached out to take the hands of people who were willing to follow them. From the scripture, we know that God does not desire the wicked. He does not take pleasure in their torment, but that they turn from their wickedness and be saved. That's what God takes pleasure in. People turning from their sin to follow him. But the men of Sodom they were set to do wickedly. They preferred their sinful ways over salvation and deliverance. Verse 17. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, please know my lords indeed. Now your servant has found favor in your sight and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil overtake me and I die. See, now this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, see, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. There's this great sense of urgency. The the angels bringing Lot out. They say, escape for your life. Your life depends upon you leaving this place. And he said, do not look behind you. Do not stay anywhere in the plane. Don't take a break. You have to just make a beeline make go straight to this mountain where you will be saved. I really feel for lot. He's probably very shell shocked and overwhelmed by everything that's happened. He, he's fleeing from a city. He knows he can never go back to that. Everything that he possessed is gone irretrievable, gone forever. He's a, once a very rich man, he's leaving Sodom with his wife, his two daughters, and the clothes on his back. And it's ironic to me that though Lot credits the angels for saving his life, he's, he doesn't want to go where they send him because he's afraid for his life. He's like, lest some evil overtake me and I die there. It's like, but the, they're not sending you to do your destruction. They're sending you away to save you. Don't you? You trusted them to leave the city. Why don't you trust them to go where they tell you to go? But the angel's like, all right, we, we hear you. We're going to answer that as well for your sake. And you can go to that Zor. And it's, it's interesting. There's this unspeakable, there was this evil, the wickedness of Sodom that he was fine to cohabitate with and dwell among for years. He was happy to make that his home for a while, and this demonstrates the contradiction that can exist in the hearts and minds of believers—genuine ones. Jesus saves us, and then we think we know best. He saves us from destruction. We go, but I want to go there. It's just a little city. It's just a, you know, it's it doesn't have as much wickedness to answer for. Not as much problems there. but the angels showed mercy and patience. They agreed with him. They said, okay, we'll spare that city for your sake. Cause that city was fit for destruction as well, but you can go there. And that word Zor, it means insignificant. And then they say, hurry escape there for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. So it's like they were intent on saving him out and also him arriving safely at that destination. God's patient to hear his people's cries, their concerns. Even if judgment's pressing, it's not like judgment was so important that God had no time to listen or no time to answer. No, he did. He listened. God is merciful. His inclination is to save. And the reason why few are saved is because sinners love their sin and the wages of sin is death. And God will give the rewards of righteousness and the wages of sin to all. He is faithful, he is righteous, he will give us what is right. Remember that parable Jesus told about the men working in the vineyard, the people working in the vineyard, where some worked all day, and he says, Whatever is right, I'll give you. And there were people who only worked the last half hour, and he says, Whatever is right, I will give you. And he started with the last and he paid them all a denarius, which is a day's wage. He gave them what was right. And the people who worked all day and they said, that's not fair. Like we worked the whole day. They only worked a little bit. So they're comparing their pay for the day. And he says, why are your eyes evil? Because I am good and I can do what I want with my things. Did I, did I give you less than what I promised you? So God, we know he gives what is right and beyond Just what's right because he's gracious and merciful. We don't deserve life. We don't deserve salvation or forgiveness, but he gives it to us by his grace. He offers that. Verse 23, the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zor. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Sun rises, Lot enters Zor. It says the Lord rains brimstone and fire upon Sodom, all the cities of the plain. It was just complete and total destruction of the houses, the people, and what grew. The scripture said previously there was a lot of bitumen pits in the area, which the fumes from that would have ignited and likely the liquid tar adding to the fury of the flames. And so it was just devastation, terrible. And they were commanded not to look back or wait in the plane, but it says Lot's wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. And it's written so plainly, so objectively, many people wrestle over like, what does that exactly mean? Does it mean that she was like, like a statue in human form? Did she look like a Greek or Roman pillar? What we think of a pillar, like what actually happened there? It just says what it says. She became a pillar of salt. Um, The fact is, Lot believed God. He obeyed God. His wife in turning back showed she did not believe God. She was not trusting him. She looked back, perhaps with longing, perhaps with the intent to return and grab a few things, or maybe, you know what? I am not going to Zor while Sodom still stands. That is my home and I'm going back. We don't know exactly what was going in her mind, but she disobeyed God and was turned into a pillar of salt, a monument of folly, of disobedience and sin. You know, looking back is the first necessary step to going back. You have to look back before you'll go there. And so keeping our eyes fixed on where God tells us to go on, on him, he will always lead us right. We can trust him. Now, God led them to a, a place of safety that she never reached because she turned from righteousness. She turned from God's right way. Now, there's only one other mention of Lot's wife who, who is unnamed. In the whole Bible, it's made by Jesus. In his teaching in Luke 17. Now in that passage, uh, Jesus is comparing the days of Noah and how there was this flood that came and just destroyed the people in an instant. Uh, And then he, he talked about Sodom, that there was fire from heaven that destroyed them just suddenly. It was like a morning, like any other morning, but then judgment came. And Jesus says, just like that is like when I return in judgment, the Son of Man will come to judge in that moment, there will be no time for you to protect yourself or to save yourself. Like if you're in the field, don't turn back. And he continues in Luke 17:32 through 37. He says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, where, Lord? So he said to them, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Now this taken is not talking about the rapture of the church in context. It's talking about being taken and destroyed in judgment. And that's confirmed in that Ezekiel 1650 passage where God says, I took them away as I saw fit. So he took them. He he took them from the earth. If Lot attempted to save his life in Sodom, he would have lost his life. He would have failed. He needed to abandon that life and follow the Lord to life and safety. That was what he needed to do. Fire consumed the cities, Lot's wife wife's life was taken when she looked back. They were walking along together. There was no fire falling on them, but she turned from God's way and thus lost her life. Her affections and desires entangled with what was perishing. Now the disciples, if you were here, if if you were hearing that, okay, there's going to be some fire and brimstone raining in parts of Sydney today, you're like, where should I not be today? Like, I don't want to be there. And so the disciples are like, well, where, Lord? Where is this judgment going to take place? Uh, Like, he had to leave Sodom because that's where the disaster was coming. Where do we go? And what did Jesus say? Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. So it's like a carrion bird. They're able to smell. uh, They have an incredible sense of sight and smell, but they're drawn to that scent of mercaptans, which is a gas that's produced by a body that's decomposing. They can smell that kilometers away so he's saying wherever judgments needed that's where it will happen he's able to see our hearts he knows the sin that's there and the Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary says as birds of prey sent out the carrion so wherever is found a mass of incurable moral and spiritual corruption there will be seen alighting the ministers of divine judgment. We're so blessed that we are those in Christ who God has taken by the hand and led us from destruction, led us out of bondage to sin and to death and given us a new and living way to approach God through faith in Jesus. He's been merciful to us. At the same time, remember Lot's wife. So Jesus is is putting this before the people he's addressing, saying, remember her, It wasn't just like we can learn a lot from that situation. Those who lose their lives for Christ's sake will save them because he is our life. Jesus also said to his disciples, remember me. So he said, remember Lot's wife and remember me. And we remember his body broken for us. We remember his blood shed for us to atone for our sins. And we remember he demonstrated his love by laying his life down on Calvary to save ours, and so our gratitude for sin, our salvation and forgiveness, it's shown in turning from sin and to obedience to God, because we have received that through the gospel. Genesis nineteen twenty seven, and Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, and he saw and behold the smoke of the land, which went up like smoke out of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Abraham had had that discussion with the Lord, like, will you destroy it for the sake of 10? No, I won't. And now he, he sees what happens. He sees it all going up in smoke. And I don't know that he knew that Lot had been spared He's just looking out at the devastation going, whoa, this was land that was described like Eden in its lush beauty, green, growing, and it's looking like a furnace, just smoke coming up, billowing from the ground. It's evident there were not even 10 people, 10 righteous people found there. But verse 29, it says, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. God did more for Abraham than what he asked for. He stopped at 10, but God was willing to save one. And he says, I can't do anything until I bring you out of there. He makes a distinction between those who are his and those who have refused him. He brought him safely out. Abraham didn't ask for this. He's like, by the way, I I have some family in Sodom and I'd, I really appreciate you pulling them out of there. He is a righteous man. He didn't have that conversation. Maybe he prayed that at some stage, but God wanted to save him. He remembered Abraham and pulled him out. Now, many people, they can read this passage and others like it in the scriptures that involve punishment or judgment, and they get a distorted view of God. They see him as brutal, severe, and bloodthirsty, When that's actually an accurate description of the people who perished in those cities, they completely miss the grace and the mercy of God for all people that Abraham and Lot received by grace. It was offered to them, but they would not have it. And it makes me think, does my heart lament the destruction of the wicked of Sodom or rejoice in the salvation of God? That he would be merciful to one person to pull him out of there. Because I find that sometimes my heart can, can go back and forth between that. Where I can be focused so much on, oh, this, this is devastating. This is terrible. And I miss the mercy. I miss that God was merciful there. Given the wickedness of sinful humanity, it's more sensible to ask why Lot was spared than why he destroyed Sodom and its cities. Why Lot's wife was turned to a pillar of salt. Like the fact that God saves anyone should be a bigger question to us. And the fact that he destroys those who are fit for destruction through sin. So he's made a way through Jesus Christ that they did not have in those days because we are now under the new covenant in Christ's blood. And any who charge God with wrong by any judgment he puts forth They are like those vengeful, violent men who shout at Lot, you came in here to stay and you keep acting like a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Know that God created this world, that he is the Lord of all, that he knows what's right, he knows what's righteous. The righteous judge of the earth will do right. And when God revealed himself as a man, what happened to him? What happened to Jesus when he was betrayed and he was arrested and he was tortured and he was killed on Calvary. The pride of man, his arrogance and greed and corruption was laid bare through what happened to Jesus to the end that people would be saved, that they could have new life through faith in Jesus Christ. God still remains merciful according to his promise. I was reading Psalm 98 verses two and three. It says the Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness. He has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And then in verse eight and nine, it says, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth with righteousness. He shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. A day is coming when God will return. Jesus will return. He will judge the world with equity according to his righteousness, judgment, righteousness. They will meet together and it will be perfect because God is good. And as much as we remember our failings, know that God remembers mercy. He remembers it. He has not forgotten to be merciful. He's not forgotten about you. Today, he reaches out those nail scarred hands to you to take you by the hand, to provide eternal life, to lead you in the right way that you would know him as the way, the truth and the life. And God's able to take a heart completely corrupted by sin, cleanse that heart, transform that mind, and adopt them as his own. Transforming them by the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the work, that's that's the power that's at work in you through the Holy Spirit when you're born again. God saved Lot from Sodom and God can save us from ourselves. So having decided to follow Jesus, let's trust him, let's obey him, and never turn back. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for your warnings, and for your mercy. That you remember mercy, Lord, that you are a merciful God, you're slow to anger, you are compassionate, that you give us grace, and you provide an opportunity for all people to believe you, to obey you, and to know you through faith in Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would minister your truth to our hearts, that we would remember Lot's wife, that we would remember Jesus and the price he has paid. And Lord, help us to know that you remember mercy, that even in a, in a, terro- in a world that's, that's corrupted by sin, and while we're exposed to, to difficult and troubling situations, you are able to deliver us from them all and to strengthen us, to walk uprightly, to bring glory and honor to your name, to love one another as you have loved us, to to stand, having done all to stand, wearing the armor of God. And we thank you, Lord, that we are not alone. You're with us and you are gracious and you're coming again, that Jesus is returning one day in judgment. And I pray that we would be ready, not like Lot lingering, tarrying, but just prepared in our hearts, not, not entangled with things of this world, what's passing away, but rejoicing in you who makes all things new. And we thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have, that uh, for all the scriptures that speak of judgment, there are many more besides that balance it with the salvation and your mercy and your grace poured out to unworthy sinners that you make your saints, your own inheritance. So Lord, we magnify and exalt your holy name and we thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.